So when we talk about wealth, people usually just stop the conversation at income. Okay. And wealth <laughs> is not just income. I love that. Wealth has like nine or 10 different aspects to it. And family is one of the aspects of wealth. And so family helps a child feel not alone. Family pours that love into a child. Um, and we're talking about whether it be the traditional, the standard family, or the kinship, where we talk about the extended family or social media says slack math, right? If I'm her friend, <laughs> she's my aunt, sister's cousin, you know how, y'all Yes, know how girl, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so really part of that is looking at that network when we don't, we don't have to have all the answers, but knowing we can look at a network around us and understand what do we want our children to know and learn. This is Gabrielle, owner and founder of the Innovative Learners Tutoring Agency. And you are listening to Raising Readers, the go-to podcast for busy parents seeking practical advice on improving their child's reading habits. I created a reading program that helps students improve at least three reading levels in only three months. That program is based on the same tips I will share in this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Innovative Learners Tutoring Agency, where we raise readers. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and review the podcast. Your feedback helps us grow and reach more parents. Welcome everyone back to the podcast. Today we have Dr. Wallace. I am so excited about this conversation that we're gonna have today. We are talking about community. And we know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. But I feel like we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. So we're going to talk more about how parents can utilize that community so they don't necessarily feel like they are siloed in their islands. Before we start, let me introduce Dr. Wallace. She is an executive coach who works with talent development for educators. And she's also a strategy consultant and research advocate for nonprofits. She supports schools with their campus culture um, through her philosophy and ideals of what successful learning looks like for each school. And she also empowers educational professionals with her transformative change through her philosophies, which are very heavy with culturally relevant practices, as well as an emphasis on community involvement. Welcome, Dr. Wallace, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I was like, oh, that person sounds good. Who is that? That's you. That's you. <laughs> if you could just start us off, what does it mean to bridge that gap between family, community, and education? I know you grew up in the South. I'm from the South. And even just the nature of the times, we used to have that community involvement whether it be through education or even behaviors, people were accountable for other people's children. And now I feel like we stray very far away from it. And I feel like in my experience, when I experience parents, they all feel like they're kind of failing their child because there is not that solidarity. It's hard for parents, specifically mothers, to find that community to support them with their kids. So how can we bridge that connection and kind of bring some of that back so we can help our mothers feel like they're not alone in raising their kids? <laughs> yeah, and isn't that crazy in like the age of information and social media, people feel so lost on what can they do for their child's education. 
And I think a big part of that is where does my voice fit in this big old world of raising a child and getting them through the education system, which needs to get bigger and bigger with more and more options. But that voice is also like, where are my actions? And we're seeing the result of generations of people who have been silenced, mm. right? And so if I was silenced, but I want my child to have this voice, how do I learn to do that thing? Mm-hmm. And so a big part of that is remembering that first, you are your child's advocate, right? And that, with that being said, you set the vision mm-hmm. for your child, right? So when we talk about wealth, people usually just stop the conversation at income. Okay. And wealth <laughs> is not just income. I love that. Wealth has like nine or 10 different aspects to it. And family is one of the aspects of wealth. And so family helps a child feel not alone. Family pours that love into a child. Um, and we're talking about whether it be the traditional, the standard family, or the kinship where we talk about the extended family or social media says slack math, right? If I'm mm-hmm. sisters, if I'm her friend, she's my aunt, sisters, you know how, y'all yes, know how girl, Yes, girl, <laughs> yes, yes. So really part of that is looking at that network when we don't, we don't have to have all the answers, but knowing we can look at a network around us and understand what do we want our children to know and learn. It is not what does the school want our children to know and learn. School is not telling you hey your child needs to know xyz that's not how it's supposed to go Mm -hmm. because of accountability and safe testing that's how it's been going for a while but really what the purpose of education is is we look at what is the community need what does the community want to teach our children and how do we educate them to solve these problems So what I'm hearing is just the concept of school in itself is to provide you with tools that you can use when you are in your own communities to solve issues that may be going on wherever it is that you're located. For a question, because I feel like we have more families that are kind of moving and spreading away Mm -hmm. from each other. So what tools can families use or moms use when they feel like, you know, say the mom just moved to Virginia and she is not really around her family anymore, but she wants to cre- recreate that, that, that community. Where, where would someone start if they're looking to kind of create that for themselves? Yeah, and so that's when we start talking about school and then we have educational spaces, mm-hmm. meaning start looking at like your nonprofits around you, like the that had the enrichment programs. Typically, we just put our children in sports and um, yeah. those type of clubs or some type of dance, but there are actual other clubs and organizations centered around building character, building community. I'm working with a nonprofit in Dallas, Texas right now, where it's all about building brotherhood. Mm. And so these children come from mostly the same neighborhood, but also different neighborhoods. And they come together for one purpose and learning more about themselves, learning more about service. And that is where we can start to see community come back together. Um, These organizations are everywhere. And I will tell you that research says 
when we put our children in these enrichment programs, Mm -hmm. they perform better academically in school because they're applying this knowledge and these skills to things in their real life or they're gathering more and more experiences and exposure to things. So when these kids are placed in these enrichment programs, and when we say those, we're we're not talking about sports, basketball, football, things like that. We're talking about things that will develop them as a person. That development can be seen in their progress academically as well, right? Yes, yes. That is beautiful. I think it's also important for, especially students of color, to see positive groups form outside of just like being on the same team as such and such, you know? So I think that's really powerful. Let's talk about school culture. So what does school culture mean and how would it benefit the parent and how can they contribute to school culture? So school culture at its very basic form is the values, beliefs, and actions that you see collectively happening in the school building. Um, So if we all believe that children deserve their very best education and we believe that should be done through service projects, then we're going to see that service projects um, culture take place in the school, which means we'll start to bring in real business people or real nonprofits or all these people to serve whatever issue is happening in the school. And then through that, you'll see things like, again, the character building, the life skills. Because now you have to learn how to communicate with people. And we're connecting all of that to the standards that they're learning and they're reading, like with comprehension or decoding and all those things. So you see all those things come together. And that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is what we call like the hidden curriculum, right? So everybody knows about the curriculum in a textbook. But the hidden curriculum is really the social part of school uh, because learning is social. We don't, we always think learning is just academic in the books, but learning is a social experience. And so that hidden curriculum can be either at a deficit or asset, meaning I can believe that you're not bringing things to the school environment that I believe you should already know. And so now I'm not giving you the opportunities that you deserve. Or it can be an asset where I look at all of these things you do have, all of these things you do know, and I embed them or I put them in your learning experience to make learning fun and active and engaging for you. And so where parents fit into that is we need to know about your children. We need Uh to know about your culture. We need to know about your community. We need to know what do you want for these children? And so parents are the voice of that. Parents are driving that. We cannot do that work without that relationship with the parent and the student. And so where parents have traditionally done it, you know, when I was growing up, you saw it in PTA or PTO, but you know, things are changing, right? Like you said, people are moving, people are more digital, people have a different work culture now. So yeah, really we see right now a lot more partnerships through organizations. And a lot of those organizations are run by parents and they are becoming more of a formal group and to offer mentorship or resources. Another way though, is like electronic communication, emailing the teacher directly. A lot of teachers have apps that you can communicate with them on. So just a simple like, hello, this is my child. This is 
um, um, some of the things we want them to learn because, you know, we see them becoming X, Y, and Z. Can you tell us like your class helps them with that? Or can you tell us how they're doing in class? And just keeping the communication electronic goes a long way in helping build that culture. And also it teaches that teacher or principal or whoever more about their kids because I guarantee you they take those conversations into those meetings that they have to have to plan Mm -hmm. and they are listening and considering those things because if you are saying it oh well somebody else probably wants this too (laughs) exactly exactly I like that with just upfront like introduction the first year I started teaching a parent sent the child to school with a note on the first day of school like this is this is what we practice in our household. These are the things that we focus on. So I just want you to keep that in mind. And I would have had no idea unless I had that conversation with those parents. Because as a teacher, we only get information about the academic history of the child. So that cultural aspect, we just have to figure that out. It, it sets it up for a smoother year when you have that open, transparent communication. My question for you is, what can a parent do if they sense that the school culture at the school is non-conducive? So I get a lot of parents who talk to me about their child is being bullied or, you know, things like they're getting picked on. It's a new school. They're isolated. Maybe they're the only child in that in that class that looks a certain way. So that brings on another set of issues. So with what we said in the beginning as parents being the advocate for their students, where can a parent start when it comes to wanting to advocate, you know, outside of, you know, kind of coming up to the school and being ready on go mode, (laughs) you know, what's a productive strategy that parents can utilize if they sense that the school culture is not conducive for their child? Yeah, that's great. I think I have dealt with a lot of parents lately who are feeling those types of pressures. And I think I want to start with first, believe that you know your child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, it doesn't matter what your experiences were, when you went to school or what you think you do and you don't know, you know your child. That's what you have to be an expert on. And that you're that and let that love and that passion for your child drive everything you do after that. Because it can be intimidating with the school system being so big and with it being so formal. It it can deter parents, especially just the things that we've seen over the generations happen that are not positive. But I think once you get to that point of believing what you can do for your child and believing that you you understand what they need, I think it's important, like I said, to communicate with that teacher to communicate with the school, set up those meetings and try to at least find one adult. You know, we tell kids to find a trusted adult, find at least one trusted adult in your district. If it's not at the school level, I would go as far as to the district level, right? Try to find that partnership. And if you can't find that partnership there, if you do, I would also, again, these enrichment programs are not just isolated silos that live outside the school system. They are often in partnership and willing to come up to the school with you to understand more of what that child needs to do that work outside of school or to 
be that communicator and share, bridge that gap Mm -hmm. between the parent, the child, and whoever you're dealing with at the school. So there's people out there, there's actual advocates out there, especially if you have a student who is like 504 or special education, there are advocates that you can work with directly. And I will say that this is a non-traditional approach. TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> have a lot of people who will tell you word for word, like say this thing, or if you hear this, think about this, thing, and they're not wrong. They're yeah. really good advice out there. So, I mean, use what you got. And, you know, I've also seen the aunties and the uncles come up to the school, right? Yes. So, just if you know people, I mean, don't be afraid to ask them. I sat at my mom. My mom and dad have an insurance company. And I sat at their office one day and a parent was having some issues with their child at the school. And I was right there on the spot giving them advice. So again, your everyday interactions is a wealth (laughs) of resources. And so tap into them. Tap into them. Don't, Don't allow people to say your child is not doing well and that's all we can do. Do not allow people to make you feel like it's your fault. It is not your fault. There is always something that can be done. I have seen so many stories of children who have been counted out and who are graduates, who are successful, who are making change in the community. It's just a part of their testimony. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do everything we can for them. I, I love that you know and and what i'm hearing is use what you've got you know (laughs) instead of looking at deficit and information that you don't know utilizing people or resources or social media to find (laughs) those tools to help you be an advocate for that child that's that's really big and when it comes to culture of the school what type of cultures do you see minority students thrive best in the ones that honor who they are as people. Mm. Sometimes people don't see children as children or as human. Yes, Mm ma'am. There's an expectation on children. Sometimes I think is not an expectation on adults when it comes to just how they're feeling and how to interact with them. They're still people. They're still having the same emotional response, intellectual response that you're having, just at a child level. (laughs) So yes. The environments that honor children as people that don't feel like they have to control everything, because if you're trying to control everything about somebody, then why would I respect you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm fighting for my freedom. So those environments that have structure, but honor who they are as a person. And then I'll go even further to say the ones that honor their histories, right? So, and I mean that in two parts, right? Yeah, usually when people hear me say that, they think, oh, okay, you're talking about slavery or racism right. or all those poverty. That's one part. You should honor that, the part of the history. But the other part is a lot of us are living in a Western culture and we don't come from Western backgrounds. And so our history is communal, meaning I do better in a collaborative environment. I do better when I get to talk yes. as I'm learning. Yes. I do my talking is not always waiting. It's a a back and forth banter that we're building off of each other that's really yes. exciting. So environments that allow children to be in that communal environment of I'm not just learning to be the top dog. I am learning because I want to be 
in community, in family, yeah. in support yeah. of others. And I want to bring value to my interactions with others. So those type of you know, learning cultures is where we see sort of the minorities thrive the best. I love that. Often I see parents move into spaces because the schools are good. And then you have to ask yourself good for who, you know, and that collaborative atmosphere versus a competitive one will carry on a lot further. And I, I encourage parents before they kind of hop on the bandwagon and get into the really good school to to go do do a walkthrough and like really pay attention and see what is really happening. I would say don't get mesmerized by the nice building, you know, or the nice people that walk you around, but really take some time to look and see what that culture looks like. I walked into some good schools, good rated schools. Mm -hmm. They were very boring. Okay. There Just you to go. It yes. <laughs> very yes. boring. And on the flip side of that, the students were having issues with anxiety and pressure to perform mm -hmm. where, you know, we want our students to perform and perform well, but I've also walked into some schools who, you know, they were okay rated schools, but they actually were more advanced in the skills they were providing students that were going to last longer in their life. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So once we've established this sense of community in our students and our children, I know you've done a lot of work about community mobility. So can you just tell us what that means on a macro? So like zooming out big picture and then what it looks like for the day-to-day -day, um, individual when we talk about community mobility? Yeah, I'm actually going to answer it in reverse because okay. it, it grows. So for the individual, and I like to use the, um, an example from a researcher, Shinoso, and they have the Be Hearts framework, right? And so they say, if I tell you my story, that's healing for me, right? And now I'm able to do more for myself. And then if you tell me your story, we are able to see the commonalities and build a relationship and have a healthier dynamic between each other. And then we can grow to an organization level and actually start to do the work of how does our community become healthier? Because remember, I said education is all about making our community healthier, mm -hmm. right? And wealthier in all those aspects. Mm -hmm. And so when we get to that organization stage, that's the community mobilization. So we're bringing together, okay, I identified a problem. We've identified our resources and we have a plan to come together and we're actually getting this plan together and we're doing it. And it can be small. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be this big thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 People think like, are you trying to change the world? Like, no, I'm just trying to give out shirts. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Exactly. Like giving out shirts is what the people needed today. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And, exactly. and through that process, we came together. Now, on a bigger scale than that, it gets into the community engagement piece. And so what you see at the highest stage of community engagement is there is a constant conversation and feedback happening as policies are being made or decisions are being made about the things happening around us. So 
and you actually see that feedback being used. So that could be like one organization I work with, again, Measure, which is in Austin, Texas. They bring together groups of people and they figure out that problem statement, but then they take it back to the community. It's just, it could be a gathering. It could be a town hall. It could be a gathering of friends. It could be a couple of people. And they say, what do you think about this? And based on what the people say, they're able to change it and say, okay, this is what we really need to work on. And these are the resources we have and everybody's pulled together to do their part to get this thing done. And so, I mean, we think about that in education, I think that's what we moved away from. Yeah. So education, now I will say this though, we can get it back because most schools are mandated to have these community conversations with parents a few times a year. But sometimes what I've seen in my personal experience is that parents are not showing up or don't understand they can show up or it's one or two people. But this is the time of year that you want to show up to say how you think school should go for your children. And if you don't show up, I want you to think about who showed up and whose voice is deciding what your children are going to learn and the experiences they're going to have. And do you agree with those things? Mm -hmm. That's big. That's big. And I like what you said, because I know parents feel like, oh, they have so many things going on already. But if something is happening in your school and you solve it, that will also ease some of that anxiety that you're already feeling. Um, I don't know if you saw, it was this school in the South where I think it was a high school and the boys were, they kept fighting each other. And so then they had just like, I think it's called like 50 black dads or something like that. And they would just come up to the school and walk around and that was it. And then the fighting was like done. Like they didn't do this whole strategy plan of like, let's just show up and see what happens, you know? So there's powers in showing up in groups. It is. It's a lot of power. And that is the strategy. That's so true. <laughs> I know I do strategy consulting for people, but it sometimes is very simple. Yes. We just need to be there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How are we all going to get there? <laughs> yes. Oh, you struggle with this too? Let's go together. You know, yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, that is amazing. And overall, when you have that child understanding that community value, it pours back into their environment. They can take that and replicate it. And it also goes down to academic performance as well. So it's a win-win for everybody. And I think we can, you're right, it's, it's part of the recipe to help get that back because we're moving kind of in the selfish me generation. We can, we don't benefit from that, you know? So I think that that is very important. So before you go, I would like to know what was your favorite book reading when you were growing up? So when I was a little, little girl, like five, six, seven years old, I love the Burn Fiend Bears series. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Which I think I might be saying it wrong because I think I saw it on social media where uh -oh. it's a whole different spelling or something that I don't know. What? But that's what I <laughs> called it. So if I'm wrong, please forgive me. I could fly through one of those books in like less than a day. And then I remember my teacher doing a book study on Bud, not Buddy. Mm -hmm. And it really just got me excited about learning about one somebody who looked like me and somebody who's just like a go-getter and determined yes. <laughs> no matter yes. what was happening exactly. was always something happening 
Yeah. And so I've just kind of always since then loved reading stories like that. Yeah. That's beautiful. And and now you are pouring back into your communities by teaching them mm-hmm. how to build that up through reading and transformative work in the communities. So I love yeah. that. Before we go, Dr. Wallace, you are doing amazing work in the communities with parents and helping them understand how they can advocate and utilize a lot of nonprofit resources um, to help their communities and their students. So where can parents find you, find more about you, and um, get information about how they can use some of your strategies to help them in their communities? So I am on social media, all platforms, Dr. Gabrielle, W like Wallace, C like communication, G like group. So Dr. Gabrielle Wallace, Dr. Gabrielle WCG, and also on LinkedIn as Gabrielle Wallace. And so you can find me there. Absolutely. And she is very responsive, guys. So don't be scared. <laughs> oh, yeah. DM me. I love it. I love when people DM me questions. So yes. I, I can, I'm a nerd for that. So please. Yes. Yes. She is a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much. I will put her information in the show notes so you can click on the link and get access to all of her and you can see all of her great work. Thank you, Dr. Wallace. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us five stars to help our podcast grow. Until next time, happy reading and see you soon.